Welcome to Real Estate Law Talk, the podcast of the Real Estate Bar Association from Massachusetts. In today's episode, former REBA president Paul Alfin has a conversation with Boston Red Sox CEO Sam Kennedy. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Good afternoon. I'm Paul Alfin, and we are inside beautiful Fenway Park on a beautiful April day for a conversation with Sam Kennedy, the president and CEO of the AL East first place, Boston Red Sox. This is Sam's 19th season with the club, and he also acts as chief executive of Fenway Sports Management, a sports marketing and sales agency that is a sister company to the Red Sox under the Fenway Sports Family, Sports Group Family. He's a native of Brookline who grew up within walking distance of the park. He joined the Red Sox in 2002 after six years of working for the Padres. Since joining the Red Sox, he has played a key role in the dramatic growth of the Red Sox brand. He's also taken on an increased role with Major League Baseball, working with the Office of the Commissioner and the 29 other clubs on ways to improve the game and fan experience. He's currently serves on the MLB International Committee, the MLB Ticketing Committee, and is chair of the President's Working Group. He's also very active in his community and serves in the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center Trustee Advisory Board and Marketing Committee, the Trinity College Board of Fellows, Windsor School Board of Trustees, Dana Faba's Visiting Committee for Institute Initiatives, the Base Advisory Committee, and the Camp Harborview Board of Directors. Thank you very much for taking time out today to, uh, to talk to our members. It's it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for uh, for being here, and I, I think we n- might need to have you audition for our uh, PA announcer role if we if we're still looking for one. You've got s- some some pipes there. Thank you, accepted. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very kind introduction. Thank you for that. <laughs> so um, at what point in your life did you decide to pursue a career in baseball? Well, it was very, uh, very early on. I was uh, fortunate uh, to grow up uh, less than a mile from here down in Brookline Village, right right down the street. And um, uh, my father was an Episcopal clergyman. He was at Trinity Church over in Copley Square. And he was uh, a bit of an operator. He somehow convinced the Yawkey administration who had a clergy pass program, I think initially for priests, for Catholic priests, to allow him to have a clergy pass as an Episcopal priest. He sent a letter on letterhead. And so he got this pass in the early 1970s. And by the time I was a young boy, I was uh, taking it out of his wallet and literally walking down here and Used to be able to get in for free at Gate D, and John um, John McDermott, who's still with us, um, used to let me come in. And then it was two dollars in the early 1980s, uh, and then you were allowed to bring a guest on the clergy pass. So by the time I was in my late teens, I was coming to 40, 50 games, bringing a friend for two dollars, standing in section 25, and sneaking down to, to field box seats in the late innings. And I just always knew if there was ever a chance to work at, at Fenway Park, that that was going to be my my dream job. And so I uh, started as an intern with the New York Yankees. I apologize for that, but couldn't get an internship here in, in the 19, early 1990s. And once I had that first internship, like anyone who gets a break or an opportunity, that was the first moment that I knew I wanted to work in sports. And um, as uh, I tell my my parents, it, it beats working for a living. It beats a real job. So blessed to be here. We've got a great, great team of people and it's been a, a great two decades. 
Fantastic. Now you played you played ball with Theo Epstein at Brookline High. In what positions did you play? And then who was the better player? Well, that's uh, going way, way back. And and I'd say we should check the videotapes, but uh, I, I don't think there's too much uh, footage or, or coverage of our uh, exploits or lack thereof uh, for the Brookline High School team. I was uh, third base, first base uh, combo. Theo was a pitcher and an infielder. And I'd say it was obvious that I was much, much better than him. <laughs> if you do uh, say so yourself. No, he, he was good. We, we were probably about the same. We were, we were, neither of us were terribly good. In fact, our whole team was nothing special, nothing to write home about. It was pretty obvious that uh, we were not headed for careers playing baseball, but working in baseball might be a better fit. And honestly, he has been, we're the same age, but he's been such an incredible mentor and friend. He was the one who actually secured an internship in 1992 at the Baltimore Orioles. Um, and we had stayed in touch. He went to Yale uh, University. I went to Trinity College and um, we were close friends. And, and he told me that he had secured a summer internship through writing letters to teams. And so he was the one that gave me the idea to start to reach out. And um, I was fortunate to get hired by the Yankees. So here we are, two kids from Brookline High, one working for the Orioles, one working for the New York Yankees, different teams in the American League East. So fast forward to 2002, when we had a chance to come back and work here together, it was a dream come true. And we still think back how fortunate we were to have that time working together. Really a lot of fun. It must have been crazy. It was. Well, especially when John Henry and, and Tom Werner and Larry Lucchino in 2003, uh, excuse me, 2002, end of 02, yep. decided to name Theo youngest general manager in the history of the game, 2002 at 28 years old. And not a bad decision. No, it was a pretty good decision as it turns out. Yep. And um, obviously he, he left us for greener pastures out in Chicago in 2011. That worked out pretty well, punched his uh, ticket to baseball's hall of fame and He's still got uh, at least one or two more uh, movies or chapters uh, in him. He's taken this year off. I'm really happy for him. He's spending a lot of time with his family, but he's uh, my prediction is he'll be back with a club at some point here. He is uh, just such an incredible baseball mind and, and, and no one loves the game as much as Theo Epstein. So excited to see what his future holds. And um, I feel lucky that we work together, but I'm frankly happy that I've been able to be here in Boston this whole time. There's nowhere I'd rather be. Uh, Boston's the greatest place in the world and, and proud to be here. Fantastic. Now, talking a little bit about uh, baseball and your involvement with the major league uh, organization, the average age of the baseball fan currently is said to be 57, a young 57. What sort of initiatives are out there to try to lower that number and bring in younger fans? Well, first of all, I think we need to um, recognize that whether our fans are 57, 67, 77, 87, or 7, uh, they all matter. They all are extremely important. And we do have a game that really connects the generations. I mean, my grandmother, for example, was a huge influence on my life. My dad's mother, um, she was a huge baseball fan. And used to, when I worked for the San Diego Padres, she would come out and uh, just keep score at every game and was was a diehard fan into her uh, 80s. Mm. And my grandfather uh, was a was a high school baseball coach and a math teacher and uh, was also a big influence on on our family's passion for the sport. So it's important that we don't you know lose sight of the fact that an uh, older demographic is hugely important. However, 
we have to make sure that we connect this great sport that we all love to that next generation. A couple of things that we're focused on first is accessibility. You know, not everyone grew up with an Episcopal minister as a father with a clergy pass where they could get in for free. Uh, and so I recognize that. So we've got uh, every game, we've got $9 student tickets here at Fenway. So any any kid in Massachusetts or, or New Hampshire, Vermont, for that matter, can come up to the gate. We affirmatively hold back tickets for $9 for every student, middle school, high school, college students. You can come into Fenway. You may get a standing room ticket. You may get a field box seat, but you can get into the ballpark. Yeah. And I think exposing that younger generation, you come to Fenway Park and you fall in love with this game. I got a great email from Becca Salwasser, our executive vice president uh, of social impact, and she runs the Red Sox Foundation just this morning. Um, and she had sent me a, a video of a friend of hers that she hosted, young young uh, middle school student uh, told his, his parent, who's a friend of Becca's, you know, I don't want to go to a baseball game. It's boring. And he came to Fenway. This is just last week. And he, the parent had sent a video of the, of the young boy throwing a baseball in the living room, said he's addicted, he's an addict, he can't get enough of it. So it's about exposing our sport to everyone and making sure they have a chance to come to Fenway Park and see it in person. The other thing that we have to do is we have to speed up the pace of the, of the game, because whether you're in that older demographic or a younger demographic, you know, an average game of three hours and eight minutes is too long. Um, I would never say we need to put a clock on the game in terms of the length, but the pace of it, I think we can we can pick up. Uh, Commissioner Manfred is is focused on that. Actually, Theo Epstein is now spending some time working on some of the competitive rule changes, whether it's a pitch clock or limiting mound visits, eliminating mound visits, requiring the batters to stay in the batter's box. Just small things to pick up the dead time in games will will pick things up and I think make for a more compelling uh, product. So that's really important. And the final thing is we need to connect with fans wherever they are. Everyone's got their mobile device somewhere on them. So whether it's a game streaming video directly to your, your mobile device or streaming audio to your mobile device, we have to recognize we live in a, a connected digital and connected world and we need to put our games on those platforms where that younger demographic lives. I've heard it said that there's a lot of competition out there for your entertainment time and dollar. And there's so many more things out there now than there was in the past. Absolutely. Yeah. Think think about when when we were kids. Three channels, four channels, right, right, right. right. Eight hundred channels yeah. now, right? You just think about the different forms of content that are out there, and forms of content that you can get on demand at any time, whenever it's convenient for you. You can stream a a, a movie or a TV show or a documentary. Um, so the great thing for sports and and intellectual property owners of sports leagues and teams is that we have content that you have to consume live. It's not as interesting to watch a Red Sox game the next day or the Celtics or the Bruins or the Patriots. Short form video clips, yes, are are, are great to be shared, but the actual game needs to be viewed live. Um, so we have that advantage over other forms of, of content. Um, so it really is a valuable uh, commodity, but there is great competition. There are new sports being launched, esports yeah. being launched, video, all sorts of video games being launched. Um, there's ultimate fighting didn't exist when we were uh, kids, a whole new league. Um, drone racing league is out there. there. There's just all sorts of different forms of content. And so we need to make sure that we're constantly refining and improving 
baseball while preserving the tradition and history. It's a very delicate balance. And I think that's the job of the 30 owners, uh, stewards of the game, to make sure that we're we're focusing on that at all times. And the commissioner's office understands that responsibility. Um, But at the end of the day, if the Red Sox are competitive and winning, uh, and putting on a great show. It helps. It helps. <laughs> and, we, and we've got the best fans yeah. in baseball. We're already hearing from our fans in this season how excited they are. I think, you know, we said we might surprise some people. Alex Cora was very confident, as he as he always is. He brings a great confidence to this this dugout. Um, we're, we're off to a good start. We, ne- we need, Now we need to keep it that That's way. Right. <laughs> so let's talk about real estate, since we're talking to the Real Estate Bar Association. And um, I uh, recently read uh, Paul Goldberger's book on the history of ballparks. And he postulates that what's happening now as they build new parks, as they did in Atlanta, and as they hope to do in Oakland, is to build a sort of a faux neighborhood around the ballpark of stores uh, and other entertainment, restaurants, other entertainment venues to attract people there on off days when there is no game year round and to get people to come to the the park early. Now, I found that the neighborhood around Atlanta to be sort of phony baloney, like like Disneyland. <laughs> all, all due respect to the to the to the nice job that they did, it still didn't feel real. Do you feel that there's a need to be actively involved in the development around Fenway Park in order to follow that model? Absolutely. I mean, what's great about Fenway is, um, you know, there there really aren't a lot of original ideas. The founding fathers of our uh, of our city uh, determined uh, way, way back 109 years ago that this would be a good location for Fenway Park right in the heart of the city. Uh, you know, we've got Longwood Medical to our left. We've got the Back Bay and downtown to our right. It's walkable. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're very, very uh, blessed with a with a great urban environment. If you remember back 2001, 2002, when we came in, people sort of forget now. But the big question for John Henry and Tom Werner and Larry Lucchino uh, was, what are we going to do with Fenway Park? It needs to be torn down. And um, we made the affirmative decision in 2005 after examining the issue very carefully um, to stay at Fenway and to invest uh, owners' money into the ballpark. Uh, we've put about $400 million into Fenway Park since that time to preserve, protect, enhance, expand the physical park. But we're only about 450,000 square feet. You know, and your, your real estate uh, colleagues know what that means. The typical ballpark or stadium, well over a million square feet. So we are a very small footprint. Um, but we, uh, over the last 20 years, have been strategically acquiring parcels in the neighborhood, um, m- mostly in a defensive posture, oh. uh, just to sort of preserve optionality with respect to what we may do to enhance the experience. And over the last three, four years, we've been starting to pivot and play offense. We're going to uh, have an anchor a project, which uh, you can't see from this angle, but out over your right shoulder, uh, we're building a $100 million plus uh, 5,000 person uh, arena music venue called the MGM Music Hall at Fenway. It will open in um, September of 2022. That should draw more people. A big bet, by the way, in the middle of a global pandemic. I hope it works out. Otherwise, you'll be talking to someone else uh, in this chair here shortly. Uh, but that that will um, serve as a second sort of anchor to the Fenway neighborhood right on Lansdowne Street, across the street from the House of Blues. 
Lansdowne has always been known for live entertainment and music. Uh, we are also right now working with the city, um, Mayor Janney and her administration on uh, the possibility of permitting and entitling uh, up to 2 million plus square feet of residential, retail, entertainment um, on uh, Jersey Street, really? on Brookline Avenue, on some parcels that we own. We partnered with the D'Angelo family uh, and WS Development, Jeremy Sklar, uh, on really an exciting project. WS is, is taking the lead on it, and the Red Sox are supportive of it. Uh, we also have a wonderful relationship with Steve Samuels uh, and John Rosenthal, two local developers who have really turned the Fenway neighborhood into what it is today. And so why I love Boston so much is because it is authentic and and and, and, you know, the neighborhoods, this Fenway neighborhood uh, is uh, transformed over the last 20, 30 years. And I think it's going to be even better five, 10 years from now. So we're investing heavily into the real estate. And it's a really important part of our strategy as we go forward. So that almost sounds like a long-term commitment to Fenway Park remaining right where it is as configured. Absolutely. For those uh, people who are uh, interested in Fenway Park, going somewhere else or moving, I, I have uh, bad news uh, for you. We are uh, committed to staying at Fenway. We think Fenway represents a competitive advantage with its location, the neighborhood, the heartbeat of the city. Um, it has served us really, really well in our four championship seasons. Those would not have been uh, accomplished without uh, the, the fans coming in night in, night out. There are some uh, creature discomforts. We recognize that. You like the grandstands? Yeah, it, 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 it is true may not be the most comfortable uh, seats huh, in all of sports, uh, but we, we, are, we are able to offer such an intense, close viewing experience. Um, and it is a balance. And, you know, I sat in those seats many, 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 many nights. And I understand that, um, you know, some people uh, don't uh, love the, 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 the size and, and shape. And so we are, for the long term, looking at, you know, what may or may not be possible there. But the physical location of Fenway Given the hundreds of millions of dollars we've invested in terms of structural uh, reinforcement, the investments we have going on around the neighborhood, we'll, we'll be here for uh, this generation, this next generation of fans, which I think is a great thing. You know what makes those, uh, those grandstand seats uh, comfortable? Being there when you win a World Series. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I felt perfectly perfectly fine in, in the seats that night. Well, I remember sitting in section four uh, in uh, 1986. Uh, I was fortunate to get a, uh, a ticket from a cop outside on uh, on, on Brookline Avenue uh, with some friends uh, and, you know, a little bit turned to the left, but yeah, yeah. it didn't bother me at all to be at a World Series game. And then I was also out in the same section for Pedro's uh, performance oh. in the 99 All-Star game, uh, and that was magic. So you're right. There is a correlation to how comfortable you are to if we're winning or losing that night, for sure. Well, we're running out of time, but I want to ask you one more question that has nothing to do with, uh, with real estate. Do you have an opinion on the best baseball movies that, that, that were ever made? I do. My, my all-time favorite, it's an easy one for me, is Bull Durham. Uh, yeah. I've... Uh, just been a huge fan of that movie my entire life. Um, I've I've had a few friends who played minor league baseball, you know, that I grew up with, and the stories are so eerily similar. That you, you sort of see the uh, experiences that people have. It's just a just a great great movie. Obviously, love The Natural, love Moneyball. It was interesting to sort of see what. Was Do you love of, Moneyball? Yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, I, I've I've come to know Billy Bean over the years, obviously John Henry yeah. made an appearance in the movie, not John Henry, yeah. but someone playing. Yeah. 
And, you know, there, there's there's some truth to a lot of truth to, okay. to what happened in the movie, but obviously it was made for Hollywood. Uh, Fever Pitch was great. But for me, it's it's Bull Durham and had a chance to meet uh, Tim Robbins. Uh, he's actually a big Met fan, as you know, and he's been to Fenway when the Mets have played here. And he, he's a really special guy. And um, it, it's a, a great film. If you haven't seen it, go out and see it. And we got to expose the next generation of kids. I think it is rated R, though, so probably 17 and up. There you go. There you go. Well, thank you so very much. This was a lot of fun. And, um, and we wish you nothing but success for yourself and also for the team. Um, you know, they're off to that. We were a little concerned for first three games, but they're off to a good start. And we just hope it, it keeps and, and we we all get back into the, all those seats out there. Well, thank you very much. Best of luck to everyone, all your colleagues in the real estate industry. Thanks for having me. Thank you.